Welcome to the Second Students North Podcast. My name is Luis. We're in a series called Influencers. Our goal with this series is to walk through God's Word each week to teach, equip, and encourage our students to be spiritual influencers for God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy week five of Influencers. Breaking down this verse, 1 Timothy 4.12, and it says this, It says, let no one despise your youth. Got a lot of youth in here, a lot of students. And God's word says, let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example. We've talked about that word being an influencer. You should be an influencer because it's 2021, and that's what we are now, influencers. But you should be an influencer, an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So we've talked about those first four, speech, love, faith, conduct, and tonight we're going to talk about being an example in purity. And some of you, I don't know where your mind goes when you think purity. Maybe some of you haven't really thought about the word purity. Maybe some of you have thought about that word a lot. don't know where you are on the spectrum. I know a lot of people, um, when they think about purity, the first thing that kind of comes to their mind is whether they've had sex or not. That's kind of the first thing that pops in the mind. Well, if you're pure, then you, know, you haven't had sex. If you're not, well, then you have had sex. And I want you guys to know something tonight as we dive in. I want you to understand something. Your purity does not revolve around sex. No, that's part of it. But it doesn't revolve around that. We have to be careful when we think about purity Um, where our mind goes and what we think about. Um, And so I want to help us to kind of understand purity a little bit. I've got some water here. Uh, Let me see. This is water. It may look like chocolate milk. But uh, I got this water out of a pond in my neighborhood. And um, so it's delicious water. My kids thought I was crazy when I got it. Um, It does look like chocolate milk right now. It kind of looks delicious, to be honest. But it's it's really not. I'm not going to drink it. But let me give you guys just real quick, just a little definition of purity. To be pure means not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material free of any contamination. That's what to be pure means. Um, The second students team, we've we've been talking about this, and basically what we've come up with is free of any contamination of its original or intended state from what it was originally intended to be. And so I have a question for you. We have water in this, but I am curious, out of these two, which water is the best example of pure H2O? What do you guys think? Just point, this one? So this one over here, this is pure. So, so just raise your hand. If you think this is an example of pure H2O, just raise your hand. Some of you guys are like, no, it's a chocolate milk. Say so some of you guys like it's a chocolate milk. Here's the question. Why, just by a show of hand, let me see, let me get somebody. Some of you raise your hand. Why or how do you know that this is a pure example of H2O and this isn't? What's the, just right here, Kelsey, what, why? Say what? Because it looks clean, right? It looks clean, right? Some of you guys are like, yeah, it looks dirty. Like you can look at this. The reason why you know this is a better example of pure H2O is because you know that water is supposed to be clear, right? If you get like a pure 
H2O sample, then it's going to be as clear as it can be. And you know, when you look at this, you're like, something's in there. Kelsey, Kelsey do you know what's in that? Mud. Do you know what else is in there? Can you name all the bacteria? You can't name all the bacteria. Here's, here's the deal. You might look at this and think, I don't know like what's muddying the water, but something's not right about this, okay? This, and the reason why you know this is pure H2O is because you know it's supposed to be clear. And when you think about purity, sometimes if we're not careful, we think about purity and we're like, okay, well, purity is just, when you think about being pure, you just think about all the things you shouldn't do and all those things you need to keep out of your life. But we don't know what is the intended state. What am I pursuing? Because what I want us to start with tonight as we talk about purity is that purity is not just a fleeing of things or keeping things out of your life. You guys, purity is a pursuit of something. And I think so often we think, well, I'm pure. I'm not because of the things that are in my life. But you guys, purity is a pursuit. Purity is something that is valuable to you. Purity is something that you become. It's not something that you just keep stuff out of. And so tonight I want us to talk. I want us to dive in. What is the pursuit? What is our intended state? What is our original state? What are we created to be? Because as believers, as human beings, if we think about purity and pursuing that, we have to think, well, what was our intended state? What are we supposed to be? A lot of things, and we're going to talk about this, but a lot of us can name things that are sin and things that are bad, and part of that is sexual immorality, and we can name those things, but do you know what you're pursuing? I mean, why keep those things out? Because I want you guys to be able to pursue when you know what you're trying to achieve, then it's easy to see, man, I, look, I know what God wants from me, and I just know that's not it. I can't name everything that's in there, but I know that that's not water. This is what I'm trying to become. And so what was our, what is our intended state? I want to start in Genesis. Some of you may be familiar with this, some of you may not, but I want to help you understand what was your intended state? What does God want for you? Why pursue purity? And Genesis chapter 1 says this. In verse 26, if you remember in Genesis, some of you don't, but God is creating everything. I mean, he's created the planets. He's created earth. He's created water and light, the sun. I mean, everything. He's created plants and animals. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he says this. He says, then God said... Let us make man in our image. Up to this point, humanity didn't exist. There was no human life. It was God, planets, plants, water, that's it. And then all of a sudden, God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then God began to give them instructions. Students, I want you to know that your intended state, what you were created to be, was an image bearer of God. God looked at the earth and said, I need to create something that bears my image, literally the image of God. And he says, I'm going to create male and female. And man and woman live in the garden, and they live in a relationship with God. And they do what God told them to do. I want you to know, students, that you were created to bear God's image. You were created to bring God glory, and you were created to be in a relationship with him. And some of you may think, 
And that just seems too simple. Like, I feel like my life should be about more than that. Or there's other things I want to accomplish. And I want you to know, it's not really that complicated. God created you to bear his image. God created you to bring him glory and to be in a relationship with him. And if you're in this room and you're saying, well, that just seems boring. Or that doesn't seem like it's going to work. I really don't think that's what I was, that was my intended state. I just want you to know, if you think that's boring, have you ever really tried it? If you think being a person who glorifies God, that bears God's image, that's in a relationship with him, if you think that sounds boring, then I venture to say you haven't tried that because I know from experience it is one of the most amazing things that you could possibly live out. And you guys, that is our intended state. Just like this is what H2O is supposed to look like, each one of you were created to bear God's image, to bring him glory, and to be in a relationship with him. And if you're trying to do anything else besides that, it's not what you were created to do. That's our pursuit. That's purity. That's what we're trying to get back to. The thing is, why is it so difficult right now? Because some of you are like, you know what? You know what? You're right. I haven't tried it. It doesn't sound like it might be the most exciting thing. I haven't tried it. But it is so difficult in this world to live for God. Like, I'm trying. I don't have anything against it. But it is difficult. And you know what? It is difficult. And you know why it's difficult? Because there is literally a force some of you guys are like, he's going all Star Wars on me. What's going on here? The force. There is literally a force, even in this room right now, that is pushing against or working against, wanting to muddy the waters and keep you from ever knowing the truth about what God intended you to be for the rest of your life. There's a force, and it's not Darth Vader or whatever that thing is in Star Wars. In 1 Peter 5.8, it literally says this. It says, be serious, be alert, your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. You guys, there is a real enemy. There's a real force. Satan exists, and his number one goal is to keep you from ever experiencing purity, your intended state, what God created you for. And he's working really hard, even this moment right now, to make sure you don't hear this message. And it says he's prowling around looking for someone that he can devour. I mean, Satan in this moment isn't just trying to deceive you and keep you from hearing my words. He literally wants to devour your life. And what happens, we read in Genesis, it's perfect. It's not that complicated. Following God's instruction, image bearer, everything is great. And then Satan works his way in and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve with these fleshly desires. And he begins to tempt them to do what they want to do. Instead of them following God, what Satan does is he tempts them to be God, to be like God. See, God didn't create you to be like him. He created you to follow him, to bear his image, to bring him glory. And Adam and Eve were like, no, I want to be God. I want to be boss of my life. I want to take control. And Satan just weaves in and offers these temptations. And in Genesis 3, there's this broken world that develops. It's this world that we all live in. If you're wondering why things are difficult, why it's so hard to follow God, it's because we live in a broken world, and there's a real enemy that wants to make sure that everyone in this room never experiences their intended state. And so these are some of the ways that the enemy tries to devour us, right? Because part of purity is keeping things out of our life. So what are those things? What are the what are the things that the enemy, what is Satan trying to do even in this moment to draw us away from him? I want you to hear what Galatians 5 has to say. Um, Galatians 5 talks about some of the desires of the flesh, some of the things that are called sin, just like there's mud and bacteria in this water um, that keeps it from looking like this. What happens now, we're in this broken world. There is sin. There's these desires of the flesh that muddy the water and they're actually attempts for Satan to devour us. And this is what Satan does. 
Even in this moment right now, some of you may be experiencing this, but Galatians 5, verse 19, it says this. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity. Some of these first three that he mentions in verse 19, they all have to do with sex. We talked about purity doesn't revolve around sex because purity revolves around what you're supposed to be, your intended state. But there are these desires towards sexual immorality, towards pornography. And I want you to understand something when we read through these. Satan is going to use these things to ultimately devour and destroy your life. Pornography, it's interesting. And we could go through all kinds of statistics. I'm going to mention something about why. I don't necessarily want to go through all these statistics. But you can look at things like pornography. And I remember um, several years ago, somebody showing me brain scans of a person who had been addicted or who is addicted to pornography versus a person who is addicted to things like cocaine. And the things that it happens to your brain are very similar. The destruction that happens in your brain, it's devastating. Sexual morality, it does the same thing when we take what God has designed sex for and we begin to um, uh, distort it. It becomes very destructive to our bodies. And I want you guys to understand that the enemy wants to devour you. In fact, in God's word, it says that the wages of sin is death. So as you think about these things, and you think about letting these things into your life because Satan is tempting you, like, it's okay to look at pornography or send this text message or to do this with this person. It's not that big of a deal. I want you to know the wages of sin is death. Sin destroys your life. It destroys relationships. Some of you, maybe you've been in a relationship and you allowed maybe sexual immorality into that relationship. I want you to know when you allow sin into a relationship or into your life, it begins to just break down that relationship. It's devastating what it does. And maybe at one point you're like, we're in love, we love each other. Then all of a sudden we're doing things we know we shouldn't do. And all of a sudden it's like, now we hate each other. Why? It's because sin, the wages of sin is death. Pornography is no different. It will destroy your life. It will muddy the waters and you'll never be what you were created to be, but it will look so appealing and you will be attracted to it, but it will be devastating the consequences. So that's where he starts, talks about sexual morality. These are the desires of the flesh. This is what muddies the water. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry. When we love something or um, obsess about something that isn't God, that's idolatry. So you may think, like, I don't make these wooden carvings and worship them. If there's anything that you obsess over, if there's anything that's way more important than God, that's idolatry an obsession or a love for something that is not God, that's idolatry. Sorcery, come on, that's Harry Potter. Just kidding, that's not. But sorcery is dark magic. Sorcery is interesting because when you look at this sorcery, some of you guys are like, I don't do sorcery. Like, that's weird, right? Sorcery is more than just like magic or Harry Potter. Sorcery is when you're trying to um, access power that isn't God's. We talk about this Satan being this enemy and when we try to access power that is dark or demons and things like that. It becomes very dark. That's sorcery. He goes on in verse 20. Remember, these are things that muddy the water, things that create impurity within us. Sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy. When you're not content with who you are, right? You're going through social media and somebody else has it better. Somebody's doing this. And all you can think of, man, I just, my life isn't that. And I'm not content with who I am. There's jealousy. I wish I was like them or that person. Outburst of anger selfish ambition. When life becomes about you and not about God, it muddies the water. Some of you think it's all about me getting a good job, making good grades. 
That's muddying the water. You weren't created for selfish ambitions. You were created to glorify God. You were created to be in a relationship with God and to follow his instruction. Selfish ambition doesn't seem that bad, right? Dissension, factions, verse 21. Envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Drunkenness, anything that makes you want to alter the state of your mind, right? Any substance, whether it's drugs or alcohol, something that you want to alter the state of your mind, God says, that's not what I created you for. That muddies the water. That distorts your life. Drunkenness, carousing, anything similar, right? If I'm leaving anything out. And some of you in this room, maybe it hasn't been mentioned in here, but when we talk about purity, there are some of you in this room, there are things that come to your mind right now that you're like, I don't think God likes that. Like, if I was in a room with God, I wouldn't do that. Whatever that thing is, and I don't want to go into a lot of details, I don't know that I have to, but whatever that thing is, that's that thing that God's convicting you and saying, man, that's the thing that is budding the water. I didn't create you for that. And then it goes on, it says, um, envy, anything similar. It says, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, this is what I fear. Sometimes this is how we think, well, this is what we think purity is. You know, we listen to all these rules. This is why I don't want to start with that, because sometimes you just listen to all these rules and you sit in a room like this and people are just like, don't do this, don't get drunk, don't, you know, sexual morality, selfish ambitions, all these things are bad. And so you leave here just thinking, okay, all these things I can't do. And what begins to happen with purity is we look at something like this. Here's some water that's not quite like this, but this water still has, it still, oh, it dripped on me. Oh gosh. But it has gunk in it, right? It's not as bad as this, but what we do with purity is this is what we do. We think, we take our life and we think, well, you know what? There's all these things, but like we start to compare ourselves. Purity becomes like, I know we just read these things, but like selfish ambition is something that I struggle with, but not sexual morality. So like I'm really still, like I'm pretty pure. And so what we do is we compare ourselves to what's really bad, and it just becomes this comparison game. And that's not what purity is. It's not about, well, I only have like an issue with three of those instead of the whole list. That's not purity, but if we're not careful, it's what it becomes for us. It's just following these rules and trying to push out as much bad as we can and somehow I'm pure. You guys, purity is you becoming what God created you to be, your intended state, a relationship with him. Not this comparison game with, well, mine's not quite as bad as that person that I know. They've got it really bad, right? And the reason why I say this is because Images coming back to sexual morality, you know, um, some of you guys know my story. You know, I abstained from sex when I was in high school. I and mean, what's interesting, I was talking to some of our staff about this. You know, when I was in high school, like not having sex for me was more of like, well, like my parents would kill me, you know, if they found out. Or, you know, I don't want somebody to get pregnant and I don't want to get some disease. And it was kind of this fear for me. You know, it was like, I don't want to do this because I'm scared of all these unknowns. And um, you guys... That's not the right motivation. As I got into college, um, you know, and I want to be careful because I don't want that to be the sole motivation for you because you, you won't fully understand what God created you to be. When I got into college, I began to serve in um, a church, started to get plugged in with a, a Sunday school class. I was teaching guys how to follow the Lord. And I remember, you know, as I got into college, I really didn't care as much about what my parents thought. I'm like, I'm my own person now. So it doesn't really matter my, my parents. I kind of know more about how this sex thing works. But what happened in college is my relationship with God started to grow. Um, the girlfriend that I had in college, the reason why I didn't have sex with her was, God, if I was to go down that path, God, it would totally ruin what you're doing through the guys that I'm discipling at church, the Sunday school class that you've given me, the opportunity you've given me to serve you. And all these things started to go through my mind. It was more about, God, I don't want to ruin this relationship that I have with you. That began to be my motivation. You guys, that's why I talk about 
um, this intended state because when you begin to experience life the way God created it, you don't want to do anything to mess it up. And so all of a sudden, purity and all these things, refraining from things is not, well, I don't want to get in trouble, so I can't do that. But it's like, God, I don't want to do anything that's going to mess up my relationship with you. I don't want to go down any road that's going to mess up this opportunity I have to serve or to glorify you or to be your image bearer. Students, that's the pursuit of purity. It's not just I don't want to break rules or I don't want to get in trouble, but it's I don't want to be anything else but what God wants me to be. And so the question is, how do we get to this point? And as we wrap up, you know, because some of us are like, well, man, my life looks a lot like this, like a lot like this, maybe a little bit like this. The question is, how do we get to this intended state? And you guys, that's a good question. In fact, you know, I'm glad you're here. You know, the thing is, for some people, if purity just revolves around sexuality, then it's like, well, there's no hope, but it doesn't revolve around that. You see, this book is all about God creating a plan to make sure we could all get back to this, to our intended state, for each one of you to experience purity, no matter what your life looks like, no matter how muddy the water gets. In 1 John chapter 1, if you're in here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, my life is messed up, I want to know how to get here this is good news for you. It says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It'll be on the screen. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If you say, I don't have sin, then you're not aware that, hey, some of you in here are like, I think my life already, you know, I think I look like this. It's like, hey, there's a wake-up call. If you say you don't have sin, you deceive yourself. And the truth is not in us. Verse 9. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And what's that word? And purify us from all unrighteousness. If you will confess your sins, he said, I will forgive you no matter what road you've gone down. God stands here tonight and says, I will forgive you. And not only that, I will purify you. I will bring you back into your intended state the way that you were created to be. And then it goes on, if you read down and Um, A few verses later, it says this. It says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, and some of you guys are like, that's me. We have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. Some of you guys are like, way too big of a word. I get it. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Some of you guys are like, atoning sins, that is way too big of a word. I've got something else behind this, and you're wondering how much more could possibly be back there. This is it. Um, Some of you guys are thinking, atoning for our sins, what does that mean? It means that Jesus literally came into this world to bring you back to your intended state. A lot like this straw. Is anybody in this room familiar with a life straw? Anybody? Raise your hand. Some of you are familiar. I am not that familiar. This straw was created to take water that looks like this and to turn it into water that looks like this, okay? How many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you would take a drink of this? Just raise your hand. You would take a drink of this right now. You would take a drink right now. I don't know what's in this. Some of you are like, I absolutely would. And to be honest, I know some of you would. I would not take a drink of that right now because I'll be honest, I legit got that out of a pond and it's gross. But this straw is made to put this. How many of you guys would use the straw to take a sip of this? Anybody? You guys trust the straw, right? The straw was made to take water out of this and to make it 
to bring it back to its intended state. Let me show you guys. This may be gross. I know this on stage, but here we go. All right. Oh, you've got to leave it in here for like 20 seconds like that. You see how that works? How many? Raise your hand if you think this is gross, like just even thinking about drinking this water. And you're like, I'm not going to look. You're going to want to look. Here we go. I'm doing this, but I'll be honest. I tested this last night, and I'm not going to lie. This takes a lot of faith, you guys. I'm placing a lot of faith in this straw right now, okay, because this water is gross. There's actually some ants in here. I don't know how those get in there. There's ants. There's ants. Here we go. Clear. Let me try again. So good. It's crazy. It's magic, you guys. It's crazy. You guys, I show you that. I show you that for a reason. Guys, I want to demonstrate this straw was made to take the water that is devastated by bacteria and to transform it into something back to its intended state. And students, that's what Jesus came to do. This big word, atonement for sin, this is what's crazy. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to get into all the mud and all the issues of your life. Because some of you in this room, you'd say, I've got issues and I've got things that I'd rather not talk about. And here's what's crazy. Jesus says he wants to come into your life. If you would confess your sins, if you would call upon the name of Jesus, he literally says, I will come into your life. I will forgive your sins and I will purify you.